Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I am joined, as always, by the man who has been asking all of his neighbours if they have any rattan furniture that they can spare because he wants to build some sort of rattan structure, but he's not telling anyone what it is. How are you today, Greg? Very well. How are you? What's going on? Um, good, thank you. How's the rattan hunting going? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Somebody else has bought it all up. I don't, I'm not sure that uh, human sacrifices are, are big in the Arabic culture. So I beg to differ. <laughs> I think they are quite big. Yes. You can say that because you don't live here. <laughs> You never know who's listening. <laughs> okay, and that's us now, banned from <laughs> the UAE iTunes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey. Oh, Mike, anything exciting been going on uh, with you? Uh, no, just been sort of keeping a bit of an eye on the football, obviously disappointed. Yeah, we don't talk about that. It, the football ended last week, we don't talk yeah, about that anymore. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's quite, I mean, even, even out here, thousands and thousands of miles away from England Shire, the sounds of the lightning seeds featuring Frank Skinner in David Baddiel occasionally permeate from the TV or from the laptop or whatever as it invades whatever I'm watching or social media. I've, I've, um, I'm stepping right back from Facebook and stuff like that. What, what breaks my heart even more is that you and I are obviously big fans of New Order. We, yeah. we went to see New Order live in Glasgow. In fact, that's an amazing... Do you have a copy of that? Uh, the Because they recorded that and released it as a live album. The That, that concert we were at is a live album. Really? I'm I'll bet, I'll yeah. bet I can get it if I don't. I don't have. I might. I might have it somewhere. But yeah, that that, that concert we were at is they released it as a live album yeah. and it's fantastic and it does break my heart that World in Motion is such a good song <laughs> apart once you get to the John Barnes rap after that you can leave it but World in Motion oh it's a great song yeah I've seen the the music video has been doing the rounds for World in Motion as well with uh, New Order and Keith Allen and the 1990 uh, England team Keith Allen that's not I, mean, I don't know what his involvement with the song was other than being in the video did, did they maybe contribute some lyrics or something like that I think I think he did, yeah. I think he wrote part of it. Right. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I I think he did. Otherwise, why would he be involved? Yeah, I just yeah, exactly. You know, he was not exactly like Britain's most famous actor in 1990 or now, for that matter. Oh, a very good actor, but you know, he's not exactly Jude Law. You know what I mean? So, uh, and obviously, and of course, his other his other sort of uh, credit or crime, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, is I think he wrote he wrote the lyrics for Vindaloo. I thought you were going to say getting his cock out. In shallow grave but yeah you're right he did uh yeah he was i think yeah it was him and alex james and someone else quite famous wrote vindaloo wasn't it johnny vegas there was someone else involved i don't think it was johnny vegas no he's not that famous it was guy pratt Oh. who is a, a session bassist, oh. but he has played with Pink Floyd, David Gilmour, Roxy Music, Brian Ferry, obviously, as well. Yeah. Um, the Orb. The Orb. The Power Station. Right. The Orb. I think the, the, the yeah. Power Station were, was the band that, um, what's his name, the guitarist from Duran Duran, Andy... My second name. I think that was his. Well, that was his project. Andy Taylor. Andy Taylor. Yeah, that was his project. Yeah. I think, after the uh, uh, John Taylor as well. His brother. Yeah. yeah after they left Duran Duran the first time. <clears> oh, <throat> was yeah. It was Robert Palmer was the lead singer. <laughs> and uh, Tony Thompson, who was the drummer from Chic. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I've been enjoying the football, but not that football. I have been binge watching, and I don't binge watch very often, but I have binge watched this TV series Ted Lasso. Right. I don't know if you've seen it or you've I've not watched it. it. I, yeah, I've I've seen it advertised on Apple. I've not watched it. I'd kept putting it off and then I got uh, an e 
email from Apple to say that my uh, free subscription was going to be over in a few weeks right. and then they were going to start charging me. So I was like, okay, I better start watching stuff on <laughs> it before it expires because I'm not renewing it. <laughs> so I watched this and I, I don't binge watch stuff often, but I watched this series in like two days and it was incredible. Oh, I just loved it so much. My daughter and I have been watching quite a lot of Parks and Recreation. Mm. And, you know, I think it's like a lot of these long running American sitcoms in that, you know, that it's always kind of entertaining, but occasionally there'll be an episode that just has you on the floor. And it could be like, Friends was a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like the, mm. the later seasons, well, they were good and they were entertaining, but occasionally, like, there would be some sequence or scene that would just like well me anyway would just destroy me and um parts of recreation is a lot like that like my, my my daughter and i were crying watching the episodes where they, they save money they save a dollar every time jerry does something stupid and then have a christmas night out <laughs> with the money and they find out jerry's having this great party that they haven't seen the invitation to because they've blocked all these emails <laughs> it's just so so funny but yeah i've been enjoying that it's like my, my, my daughter's on like the fourth run through of modern family she's mm. like and i mean she'll, she'll literally watch the very last episode and then start it all over again like immediately i don't know how she does it shall we have a look at the news let's have a look at the news cue the jingle <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Have you seen anything this week in Scotland that has caught your eye? I have done. So, obviously, you and I and our mutual friend are big fans of Brewdog's Wares. Mm. You know, they've got, seems to have something new. Some there's a, I, I see a new Brewdog beer on my travels every day, regularly, but they've, they've been getting a bit of a bashing in the press of late for sort of staff uh, conditions and things. But just when they thought that their troubles couldn't get any worse, uh, this came from the, the Scottish Sun, 28th of June, and it reads Gold Ringer, second Brewdog competition winner called in watchdogs after his £15,000 solid gold can turned out to be just gold plated. <gasps> so this is a Adam Dean. He alerted the Advertising Standards Agency after finding out that the special punk IPA tinny scooped in a draw was worth a fraction of its supposed supposed £15,000 value. The ASA is looking into the claim. A day at, So the, the day before, the Scottish Sun told us that uh, Mark Craig was also gutted by the true worth of the Aberdeenshire based beer firm's prize um, sales manager Adam said just totally disappointed and I want it resolved I legally entered a competition to win a solid gold can but I've not got that I asked for shares to make it up to £15,000 and Brewdog basically said no <laughs> So I called the ASA. <laughs> now, right, so the cans are the sort of soft drink size cans, right, that we're familiar with at Brewdog. A solid gold, a, like a piece of solid gold of that size is going to be quite heavy and it's mm. going to be worth a lot more than 15 grand, I assume. <laughs> I assume it'll be worth a lot more than 15 grand. There's a picture of the gold-plated can here. It's in a little case, just a golden can. It's not even, it doesn't even say Brewdog on it. Adam lives in Shrewsbury in Shropshire. He said the ASA asked for all the emails he's received from the company and told them earlier this month that it'll assess his concerns. He added, it's annoying that I've lost out on so much money I've been promised. It would still have been a cool prize if they hadn't missold it. No investigation has been launched at this stage by the ASA. Mark was one of 10 punters who got lucky in a competition. Well, the other guy, Mark, that was in Lisburn, Northern Ireland. Brewdog earlier said that apologised to Mark for erroneous use of the phrase 
solid gold, <laughs> but stood by its £15,000 valuation. I mean, there is no way that a uh, gold-plated can is worth £15,000, surely. If any jewellers are listening or experts on gold, then please let us know. Let us know how much a solid gold size, like a bit of gold of the size of a can of Coke would be worth. But yeah. I've just Googled it. Yeah. And like a gold bar, uh-huh. and I don't know if this is correct, but it's saying that it's worth 623544 euros. Right. For a gold bar. Yep. That's the current market price. So a gold can would be about the same kind of weight, you would think. Because, uh-huh. yeah, gold is 1,500 euros per ounce at the moment. Okay. So, yeah, you're going to be looking at quite a, a hefty amount for a solid gold can. And I can see his plight. He has, I don't agree that he says, I entered a competition in good faith. Mm. I saw this online when they were offering this. And it was just basically, we've hidden like, what was it, like 10 or 15 gold cans in packs of Brewdog. But yeah. I, I guess it wasn't, you had to actually send away for yeah, it. Yeah, so the cans were, there's a, there's a picture here of the cans that you had to find in your pack to be a winner. And it's basically, it's like they've sort of wrapped gold round a normal can of Brewdog, but like the sort of top centimetre of the can. Is, is branded in mm. the colour so they, the, the one in question in the picture was Hazy Jane and I guess to your point that's the one that you send away and um, when you win your solid gold or gold plated um, Brewdog can to sit in your mantelpiece yeah, you're going to be annoyed if you buy a 12 pack at Brewdog and you only actually get 11 cans of beer and one of them solid gold you're like oh, for fuck's sake I wanted 12 cans of beer where's my other beer you know so obviously they just had to wrap a can uh-huh. um, and then you had to drink it and then send it away I, I don't see his point about entering a competition in good faith you just bought a pack of Brewdog and you got lucky yeah. he wasn't he wasn't going and buying in cases and cases just to find this gold can. It wasn't a fucking Willy Wonka golden <laughs> ticket. But I do see his point that they did say it's 15 grand. But I think, did they say in the article, it's kind of, the way they've twisted it is kind of like, well, it's worth 15 grand. But the time you equate in, I think the way they've worded it, probably production costs, mm-hmm. marketing expenses. Yeah. Like it cost us 15 grand to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's worth 15 grand. <laughs> Very cleverly worded. But yeah. I do feel for him, but yeah, I get a grip. You've still, you know, you're going to get a few quid for that, surely. It's still gold. It's gold plated, but yeah, I mean, make a necklace out of it or something. It's an ornament, you know what I mean? And the thing is, to your yeah. to, to your point, it's not like he has gone out of his way to enter this competition. It reminds me a bit of, um, do you remember in the late 1980s, Coca-Cola releasing the yo-yos, like the super spinners? Yeah. And there was, yes, I do, yeah. There was two different types. There was the professional which is sort of clear plastic, mm. and there was the super, which which was it was like white plastic, and I think they were they were supposed to be for younger kids or whatever. Um, and they did like Coke, Spray, and Fanta, and you could mm. you could win if you. Cause these were the days when ring pulls came off of cans, and you mm. and if you got one, had a little G underneath, you could take it to like John Menzies or whatever and exchange it for a, a golden spinner. And my dad, yeah. um, my, my my dad used to drink fucking tons of Coke, especially after he quit smoking. He would he would have like a like a case of like twelve under the seat in his car, and he would drink it warm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. He moved on to diet coke about twenty <laughs> years ago, uh, which I told him is no better for him. Um, he's trying to come off it. 
But um, he, because you got this coat, he actually got two golden ring, uh, two ring pulls, oh, wow. and I got two uh, golden spinners. But I was quite disappointed because they just seemed like they were supers, but branded gold. Do you know what I mean? So like the plastic around the outside was white. The weight of the yo-yo felt like a super, and I I didn't use the super ones. I I had a couple of professional ones. So I'm not I'm not I'm quite handy with a yo-yo. Not not a lot of people know that about me. I'm quite handy with a yo-yo. <laughs> Um, I can do. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do some tricks and stuff. Fido Dido. Yeah, just like just like Fido Dido. Yeah. So and I remember being I'm a bit disappointed. So because I had two, I gave one to my little cousin Stuart, and he dropped his, and the gold paint chipped a bit, and it was green underneath. And we were con- oh. we were convinced that it was just a sprite super that they'd painted over gold. It's a fucking scandal, Franco. <laughs> Young couples put their hopes and dreams into this sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> my, my dad put himself in serious risk of type B diabetes to get me those <laughs> If I had been older, I might have called up the ASA as well. <laughs> So that's old Adam. Uh, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think him or Mark are going to have much luck. Um, I don't because obviously Brewdog just don't seem to give a fuck. They don't, they don't seem that. They don't seem that worried about it. <laughs> Why would they? Yeah, just like, yeah, whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Have you have you tried Hazy Jane? I don't know. I've tried. Uh, I do believe I have. Yeah. I I've had quite a few. I, I you get quite a few different varieties here. It depends which stores you go to. The local supermarket stock. I think three um, they stopped the Punk IPA mm-hmm. Elvis Juice and Clockwork Tangerine oh yeah but there is a, a beer shop in the city centre that stocks all of them and I think yeah I have tried Hazy Jane I think it's quite um, cloudy right it's very but it was nice but it's yeah it's very cloudy beer yeah it looks like you're drinking dishwater <laughs> you're drinking like granny's vegetable soup <laughs> <laughs> I drank eight cans of that Goose American um, Goose IPA Midway oh, yeah. last night yeah that's quite nice it's nice but my head was absolutely pounding this morning when I woke up <laughs> Pounding. <laughs> um, I had to take some painkillers, but it was nice. Like, it's quite, it's quite easy to drink. It's not, you know, it's it's a good little sort of summertime IPA. <laughs> if anyone that's interested. Anyway, what's uh, what's your first story of this week? Well, I think someone has been listening to the Swally, Greg. I don't know if you remember. There was a story. I, I I can't remember what episode we covered it in. I, it was your story, and it was about two guys caught under a bridge or something, oh, yeah. and one of the guys was inspecting the other guy's todger yeah and i said he should have said that he got stung by a wasp (laughs) or something and he was just checking it Uh well our story has been used in court as a defense uh this is from the scottish sun this week a businessman perv who was caught sitting in his car masturbating (laughs) claimed he was searching for a bug that bit his penis Civil engineer James Lewis Booth, that time sounds very posh yeah, for yeah. where he's from, uh, was seen performing a solo sex act on himself. If it's a solo sex act, who else is going to be performing it on? While his trousers were down in Upper Craig's Sterling wow. in September last year. His explanation was branded as ludicrous, <laughs> not the rapper, but just ludicrous, uh, by a judge and found him guilty of public indecency and fined him £1,500. A horrified witness told Sterling Sheriff Court how he noticed Lewis Boot masturbating in his car while he was checking to see if his neighbours had put out their recycling. Lewis Brannan said, I had a closer look and saw he was wearing a pink 
and white pinstriped shirt and had his trousers unbuckled and his penis in his right hand and he was masturbating. <laughs> his hand was moving up and down with his penis in his hand. Yeah, that's kind of what masturbating is, uh, Lewis. That's pretty standard, isn't it? I'm aware of that. Yeah. Uh, so Lewis, uh, he went in to get a glass of water because he felt sick <laughs> and then he phoned the police. I mean, that's your first reaction if you see a guy wanking in a car. You don't knock in the window and be like, oi, knock that off. Yeah, no, do that somewhere I else. have to go and get a glass of water. <laughs> I have to go and get a glass of water because I feel sick. So Lewis then continued to keep an eye on Lewis for 40 minutes <laughs> until the cops arrived. What? I mean, that is a fucking mammoth wank that, that this boy is having. That must be like how Sting wanks. <laughs> it's like a tantric wank. <laughs> I mean, 40 minutes. I mean, he was obviously really checking for this insect. Yeah. Um, he told how the perv kept pleasuring himself, even though there was a woman standing outside her car just metres away. Well, that's probably what it was wanking yeah. over, you know? <laughs> come on, Lewis, come on. So, at one point, there was a woman standing in front of the car between her boot and his bonnet getting something out of her car and he continued to masturbate while she was just two metres in front of him. On his excuse, they said, I don't think it takes 40 minutes to find an insect in your trousers. The sick creep, and we've discussed this before, the way the sun kind <laughs> of... <laughs> now, Lewis, he's a sick creep, uh, claimed that he'd been answering emails and phone calls on a busy day, and then he was stung by an insect. He said, I felt there was a bug in my trousers. It was extremely painful. My instinctive reaction was to try and find out what had bitten me. So I decided to unzip my trousers and have a look. Unfortunately, I didn't find anything. Uh, his solicitor then produced a photo of Lewis Booth's penis. Oh, <laughs> Imagine the court, like, here's my client's knob. A couple of days after the event, and it showed the aftermath of a blister from the bite. So he's obviously been caught, gone to cells, he's got home, and he's probably taken a lighter to his knob oh. or something to get like a blister. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was an insect bite. I don't know. The prosecutor <laughs> said, in my submission, the bug explanation is not one that can be taken seriously. It is so outrageous. It was probably a friction burn for from wanking for 40 minutes. So it was. <laughs> the sheriff ruled that it was inherently unlikely that he was searching for a bug <laughs> and that his evidence was unreliable. Um, and he said that he didn't... <laughs> the sheriff said, I don't take anything from the photo of this penis. <laughs> I derive no pleasure from looking at the photograph of this penis. Um, he did add that the perv, the perv, uh, would not be added to the sex offenders register since the offence had been carried out inside the car. Right. Yeah. So he was fined £1,500 for having a wank in his car. <sighs> I mean... 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Jesus Christ, Lewis. Good boy. The women emptying her book can't have been that attractive if it took him 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it took him 40 minutes. I mean... I guess maybe the insect bite kind of maybe dulled it yeah, slightly. It like bit, that, yeah. that could be the only explanation, yeah. Maybe... 40 minutes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. See the guy, the... This, the star witness. Does it say? Does it say? Um, does it say how old he is? No, no, it doesn't say his age. No, because I'll bet that he has watched pornography before, and I wonder if when the male lead in the pornography he watches is masturbating over the breasts of the female lead, if he has to go and get a glass of water because he feels sick. Uh, to be honest, the star witness said he went outside to check that his neighbours had put out their recycling bin. Oh. So he strikes me as a bit of a fucking business 
busy body yeah. arsehole. So lives alone. I don't know if he's watched much porn. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, they, I bet he does. I bet he's got hundreds of porn. Lives <laughs> by himself. <laughs> They should probably have a wee look on his hard drive. <laughs> so that's what you're taking away from this. The police should start investigating the star witness yeah. and have a look at his hard drive. Yeah. But he he doesn't know what wanking is. Like, because he of was course. <laughs> saying that he was had his cock in his right hand and was moving up and down. Yeah. And then I realised he was masturbating. Then described for benefit of the court what masturbating is, in case anybody <laughs> didn't know. You know, could just stopped at masturbating. <laughs> yeah. What made you think he was masturbating? His hand was going up and down on his penis and he had his trousers opened <laughs> anyway uh, uh, 40 minutes 40. Jesus <laughs> I can't imagine I mean you know like obviously one of the many things that you and I have in common is that at a point in our lives we were both hormonal teenage boys and we know when you're a hormonal teenage boy and you've just sort of discovered this amazing power that you have <laughs> when you're a teenager that you know you might you have to sort of go and sort yourself out in perhaps inconvenient moments but I can't, yeah, as an adult I've never been like driving and thought, oh, right, I just got to sort myself out like straight away. Nothing will do. I've got <laughs> just got to pull over and have a forty-minute wait. I'm, I'm just going to pull into this uh, residential street, parallel park between these two cars, and crack on. You know, you just you, you think he's like, oh, oh, they haven't put out their recycling today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, civil disobedience. Well, they put the brown bin out. Yeah. Nothing does it for me like civil disobedience and watching a woman getting her messages out the book. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on from the 40 minute one. <laughs> Um, well, this is a. I always feel a bit guilty when both my stories come from the Scottish Sun, but the Scottish Sun is sort of the best source of uh, sort of swally esque Scottish news. So, this is from the 26th of June. The headline is Shout, nothing about Lulu, but Scots caught accused of yelling at crime suspect by using <laughs> all capital letters in shouty email as police oh, launch God. probe. Policeman, I'm not sure why he was texting uh, th- this woman uh, who's a suspect, but the woman claimed that the officer did it to shout at her in the message. The force investigated the complaint made by the woman and several others, filed by her husband after she was arrested with him under suspicion of racially aggravated harassment. So she sounds lovely. Oh yeah. Oh, she's a gem. Most of the complaints were not upheld. An inquiry by the police investigations and review committee Commissioner and how the complaints were handled also found that the cops met necessary standards. It said the tone of the email suggested that she was wasting police time <laughs> and that the cop oh, it wasn't a text message, it was an email and the cop used block capital letters to shout at her. The force threw out the complaint. Uh, then the PIRC agreed that the cops dealt with it to a reasonable standard. Another complaint said an officer failed to respond to the same woman's call related to wildlife protection issues and that was upheld. So this woman, she She's apparently a racist, but she's she's all about wildlife, um, you know, so just, she's a complex person. Among the seven other gripes, <laughs> there were claims that the cops failed to carry out a thorough investigation, uh, the time from the alleged offence until his wife was arrested was excessive, and that she was denied water at her interview. Uh, the PIRC says six of the complaints were dealt with to a satisfactory standard, but told Police Scotland to seek further accounts from officers that they failed to tell the man making the complaint why he was being taken to the station for an interview. It was also ruled that cops should look again at how they handled allegations. They failed to establish a timeline of events in respect of criminal allegations. So yeah, I remember when text messages first came out, and I didn't realise that you could, um, like on my old like, Nokia 3310 or whatever it was, when I first started texting. So I always texted in uh, capital letters. So that, I didn't know how you <laughs> went to lowercase. And it was like, 
my old flatmate Dale's girlfriend, I was texting her about something and she was like, why are you shouting at me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not shouting. She says, and she said, when you text in all capital letters, that means you're shouting. I was like, all oh, right, okay. So this poor copper has been halfway through writing this email <laughs> and then he's looked at the screen and went, oh, fuck, I've got caps lock on. <laughs> ah, ah, fuck it. I'll just yeah. style it out and just, yeah. you know, what do you do? Can't I'm not going to retype this again. <laughs> like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> he's just continued with it. Like, that's fine. I don't see it, but yeah can see the point of shouting why are you shouting at me oh i'm not i just i can't oh, be i'm just, just typing as either. yeah i'm not shouting i'm just lazy <laughs> lazy <cunt. laughs> oh jesus that's I, yeah yeah makes me worry about society these days when you've got people complaining about stuff like that that's ridiculous. you sent me a shouty email <laughs> i've been more concerned about uh your arrest for racially aggravated harassment than <laughs> well yeah that could be something that you might have to worry about a little bit more yeah, yeah. so yeah yep that's uh, that's my last story what's your uh what's your last story this week well greg obviously we're both married and if you were to ever, and I know it doesn't happen often, it doesn't happen often with me, if you were to upset your wife, how would you make it up to her? I'd probably take her a cup of tea and be con- and show a bit of contrition, I guess. Maybe I'd okay. maybe take so, her out for a drink. Okay, so you're thinking uh, like food yeah, dinner, yeah. or something, yeah? Indeed. Okay, so this is from, a, and don't feel bad, Greg, because my second article <laughs> is also from the Scottish Sun. Right. <laughs> a remorseful Scotswoman has gone viral after trying to win back her man affections with a note tagged to a sausage supper. <laughs> the mystery lass had staff at the famous McMonagall's fish and chip boat in Clydebank in stitches with her unusual delivery request ordered yesterday via the takeaway app Just Eat. Her attempt to smooth things over with her partner, she bought him a sausage supper, a buttered roll, coleslaw and a can of monster energy drink <laughs> to wash it down. And it proved a hit with staff and customers, and it was shared online. It was branded as the best delivery comment of the month, and a member of the chip shop staff uh, took a photo of it and put it onto Facebook. So the message reads, contact free delivery. I guess that's a kind of notification rather than the actual message. Um, Buying this for my boyfriend, because I was a cunt. (laughs) So, so, (laughs) So I'm trying to suck up to him, and he's blocked me. So can you put a note in saying sorry and I love you and if he doesn't answer, just leave it at the door. Thanks. This order came to a very reasonable £12.85, a small price to pay for true love. Um, But it's not known if the message swayed the love interest into forgiving her because he hasn't replied. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, McGonagall's commented, nobody apologises better than the Scottish. Nothing says sorry like a sausage supper. Uh, An update from the Chippery employee said, uh, we wrote him a sorry, I love you know, and he seemed very chuffed when he got it. I'm sure he'll call soon. Hope you both live happily ever after. <laughs> so uh, a poster claiming to be the original poster, we don't know if it was, uh-huh. but she claims to be, uh, said, aye, thanks for nothing, nay boyfriend, and £13 down. <laughs> <laughs> People on social media have commented on it saying, this is a true Scottish romantic apology uh someone else said i'm invested in this now i need to know what happens someone else said your next apology after being a right cunt better be a good one (laughs) someone else replied saying you'd instantly be forgotten if you'd sent me food (laughs) so this is how you apologize nowadays greg you send a sausage supper a buttered roll coleslaw and a can of monster energy drink 
12? I mean, that's maybe I've been away for too long. That seems like quite a lot of money for a, for something at the chippy. You know what I mean? I can give you the itemized receipt. <laughs> uh, a sausage roll supper uh-huh. plus one roll buttered <laughs> and one coleslaw comes to £7.25. Fuck me. That seems expensive. Well, how, how much is the Monster Energy drink then? Like four quid? No, the Monster Energy drink is two quid. Right. So the food and drink total is £9.25. Oh, and charge. then there's a service charge of 50 pence. And then there's a delivery charge of thirty uh, £3. And then there's a bag charge of 10 pence. Right. And it comes to 12 1285. That's an absolute scandal. Uh, the coleslaw is £1.20. The roll is 40p. So, yeah. I mean, like the chippy for me is somewhere when you're walking up, when you're walking home, you've got a few beers in you, you've got some change left in your pocket, you can dive in, 350 or something will get you a ro- will get you like a sausage supper or a haggis supper <laughs> up the stairs. For some reason, I've got £3.25 <laughs> in my head as that's the price of a sausage supper. I guarantee you now, you'd be about, in fact, I, I, when we were back in Aberdeen, like well two years ago now really yes two um, years ago wow yeah it was it was just over two years ago yeah. um i'm sure i got a chipper when i went back a couple of months later right um i went and got a chipper and i'm sure i was about six quid Fuck. for like a, a sausage supper and I, I probably bought like a bottle iron brew as well yeah but yeah i'm sure it was about six quid or something I'm sure it's about like five pound for a standard supper nowadays fucking hell that's expensive I mean my favourite places to go in Aberdeen for like post night out scran was the Chapel Street Bakery or Mm -hmm. the George Street Bakery if I when I lived up in Elmbank Terrace I liked Sizzlers but then they moved but they moved um, they moved down to on I forget the name of the street near the near the um, well opposite the train station no they opened um they opened two shops because they, they had the one in Wimble Bray. Yeah. That it, was the always one. Yeah. But then they opened another branch, which I know was up on, it was like Bonacord Terrace or Bonacord Street. Yeah, I think so. But they also opened one opposite, on the street opposite the train station, didn't they? Like opposite where, opposite what's well, now Union Square. There was, a, there was one there as well. I don't remember that one. Yeah, either. I remember that one. But yeah, I used to love it. I used to, because this is that massive burger. Oh, and oh the, Sizzler's was amazing. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. The queue was always massive. Yeah, I know. I know you. Oh, but it was good. You had to make sure that you went for a piss before you left the pub because you could be, be standing in the queue at Sizzlers for a good 20 minutes. But then it was also another possible possibility to get a winch for the night if you were true. in the queue for Sizzlers. You could get some stragglers. That's <laughs> true. If there was some single ladies queuing for Sizzlers yep. and you were queuing for Sizzlers, then you could kind of gain a kind of mutual respect yeah, over yeah. your burger and end up going home and eating your burger and chips together. It wasn't Sizzlers that had the the franchise in Amadeus, was it? Or am I making that up? That seems to ring a bell to me. Maybe. I had completely forgotten about the burgers in Amadeus until you mentioned it on an episode of the podcast. What I remember was you had to wait. You waited fucking ages for them. Do you remember? Yeah. (laughs) It took a really long time. Uh, Wait a minute. Talking about Amadeus, like you gave us a story a few episodes ago <laughs> about us being an Amadeus. I, I believe it was the Shangalang story. Shangalang story. And we haven't had an update for quite a while. My wife's been asking me when's the next update coming. <laughs> Are we going to be getting a, a Shangalang update anytime soon? Yeah, uh, on the next episode, I'll prepare a short Shangalang update, add a bit more onto the story. On the next episode of the Swally, we're going to get a Shangalang update. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, Amadeus. And we could talk about the burgers and Amadeus. So you had to wait ages, but oh, they tasted so good. But yeah, you had to wait a long time. But, Did they just taste good because you were drunk? 
probably. Yeah, I think yeah. they tasted good because were full of like Carlsberg or whatever beer was on special offer. I think it was Carlsberg <laughs> they served in Amadeus, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Carlsberg or Foster's, one of those fucking oh. pish beers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're screwing your face up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I don't like that stuff. <sighs> okay, uh, I guess that concludes the news this week. So, it was your choice this week, Greg, of what we're going to have a look at. And you've chosen something quite special and spectacular. Why don't you tell us what it is? I've chosen an absolute classic, 1973's The Wicker Man, directed by Robin Hardy, based on the 1967 novel by David Pinner, uh, Ritual. Stars Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, Diane uh, Salento, Britt Eklund and Ingrid Pitt. Amongst, uh, amongst others. I guess the synopsis, uh, Sergeant Howie, played by Edward Woodward, arrives on the small Scottish island of Summer Isle to investigate the report of a missing child. Conservative Christian, the policeman observes the resident's frivolous sexual displays and strange pagan rituals, particularly the temptations of Willow, played by Britt Eklund, daughter of the island magistrate Lord Summer Isle. No, she's not. She's the landlord's daughter. She's not. I'm reading this off Rotten Tomatoes. They've got their facts wrong. The more Sergeant Howie learns about the islander's strange practices, the closer he gets to tracking down the missing child. So, yeah, as I mentioned before, released in 1973, rated R, scores on Rotten Tomatoes 89% with uh, on the tomato meter and 82% on the audience score. Uh, the critics' consensus, this intelligent horror film is subtle in its thrills and chills with an ending that is both shocking and truly memorable. Does this feel like a out-and-out horror film to you? Uh, yes and no. It doesn't, but it it's my kind of horror film. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's not. Um, it depends on your definition of horror. Mm. It's not, uh, I'd say it's more kind of like a psychological horror film. And I'd put it up there with some of my favourite horror films, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. for example. Okay, that does have a couple of jump scares and stuff, but it's not a out and out kind of slasher, you know, slasher. As much as I love Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween films, I like them for entertainment purposes, but yeah. the ones that stay with you are kind of like the, let's say, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's a film that you, you kind of leave and yeah. once you've watched it, you're thinking to yourself, holy fuck, that was fucked up. I guess what it is, is that that could actually happen. Yeah. This could actually be real. So yeah, I, I would say it is kind of a, a horror film, but more of a psychological horror. I think the thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, mean, I think it came out maybe round about the same time, maybe the year or two apart from The Wicker Man. But even now, it, it's still a disturbing film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I was yeah. I, I was thinking about it, um, I think maybe today, and the bit near the beginning when we first see Leatherface and he, he gets the guy and whacks him on the head when he, mm. the guy finds his way into the his workshop and the guy starts convulsing his sort of legs are kicking and all that after he's been hit yeah. in the head like, you know, I mean it's, it's pretty for me that's that's even more disturbing than obviously the the sort of emasculated father and the you know the sort of cannibalization and all that kind of thing mm. but I mean for this I hadn't watched The Wicker Man for a long time I can't remember the last time I watched it but it was a while ago I used to have I used to have the DVD which was like a collector's edition DVD that had all the deleted scenes and lots of documentaries and stuff. I, I might still have it somewhere. I'll need to have a look. But I hadn't watched it for maybe 15, 20 years, maybe, since I last watched it. And I, I, I was really surprised by it because, you know, it, it, it sort of goes from sort of uh, a bit of a thriller 
detective kind of story. There are bits which are essentially musical numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking about the song in the pub mm. the night that Howie's checking in to the Green Man. Oh, and I, I mean, it is basically a musical in a way. There's a lot of songs yeah. in this film. Yeah, yeah, but the, the way they're performed and all that, all the vocals in the pub all singing the landlord's daughter <laughs> when Howie's trying to check into his room. And then the song when the, the boys are running around the maple and mm. the, the girls are in the classroom watching and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, and then it does go to, like, unsettling horror, especially, like, the very end. Mm. I mean, it's it's sort of route to distribution and the sort of history of the film is a bit of a story in itself. Hardy wanted to make a horror film, Robin Hardy, but, he, but all the horror films, or most of the horror films that were coming out of the UK at the time were like the Hammer movies they were still popular um, and the Amicus sort of horror anthology movies like Asylum and stuff like that he wanted to make one which seemed more realistic uh, to your earlier point and he found this book by David Pinner who was who's also an actor um, a stage actor as well as being a novelist and Christopher Lee feels that The Wicker Man is his best movie that he's ever mm. he's ever been in uh, he didn't take any money for being in the film he's never he was never paid any money for the film uh, mm. British Lion who made the movie were bought by EMI after the film was finished being shot and edited so there's a few different cuts Roger Corman the famous kind of B-movie director distributed it in the US he had a slightly different cut I, th- I think the cut that you and I both watched the, fi- yeah, the final cut the is the American Roger one Roger Corman cut yeah because yeah. they that DVD I had had some additional scenes in it there's like a scene when uh, how he's in the police station right at the beginning of the film mm. and, and he gets the letter about the missing girl um, and we miss out on because we didn't watch the, the very long version uh-huh. we missed out on Tony Roper because he's in the very long yeah. version as the postman. I know, and I was chatting. and I was I was really looking for him. I didn't realise until after I watched it <laughs> that he, he has his scene was cut out. Oh, I had to say if I'm sorry, I should have to have a dig for that DVD the next time I go home and see if I've still got it. So EMI didn't really have any faith in the movie. Uh, they distributed it. There was two movies that British Line had made. There was a there was a Wicker Man and the other classic British horror film Don't Look Now with uh, Donald mm. Sutherland, and um, they were the in the they were were released as a as a double feature in the UK. Have you ever have you ever watched two movies at the cinema in the same day? Yes, I have actually. Uh I did it with our mutual friend. Right. We went to what uh what lies beneath with right. Harrison Ford Michelle and Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. And then we came out the cinema, went had a pint in Heroes, and then went straight back in and watched Blair Witch to Book of Shadows. Wow. That's a, yeah. that's a weird that's double a feature. Hell of a double bill. Yeah. <laughs> but no, never watched like a, a back-to-back thing. But that was uh, that was a thing back in the day. You would watch that that's what they're called B movies. Yeah, yeah. You would have the A movie and the B movie. Yeah. And that's why they made kind of the Wicker Man into a B movie as such to follow don't look now yeah I've only done it once as well and it was with an old girlfriend in Aberdeen and we went to see The Empire Strikes Back the special you know this mm. special edition and it must be like 1998 and then we went to see The English Patient um, which oh w- Jesus which was which was on so like her pick and my pick it was on I, th- I think it was on about half an hour after Empire Strikes Back finished and I didn't feel very well afterwards I just felt a bit I don't know I just felt a bit grotty I don't know if it was because like English Ray pa- Fines make you feel sick. I think I don't know. I I had always thought it was because I'd just been sitting in a darkened room for like six hours watching mm-hmm. movies 
you know, um, and you know maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but uh, or maybe it was just the fact that the English patient was just never seemed to end. It was. <laughs> I'm sure it's a very well-made movie, and everybody in it's very good, but it just wasn't my type of film. It just seemed to go on for ages and ages. Um, so yeah, I mean the other thing we kind of wanted to move away from playing roles like Dracula and Frankenstein and stuff like that in the Hammer movies. For Edward Woodward, interestingly, he was famous on television for playing Callan, a sort of secret agent type um, character. I actually watched a feature length episode of Callan on YouTube oh. uh, a few weeks ago. It's pretty good. Gotta say, it was pretty good. I'll, I'll send you it if you want to watch it. It's like a sort of movie length episode of it. But, so he, I read the description of Callan and it made me think this is the kind of show I would probably enjoy. Yeah. So I, I did want to watch it and I probably will after this. Yeah. So for Edward Woodward, the character of uh, Sergeant Howie is very different to the role played in Callan. So he um, he wanted, you know, a- actors I think like to play against what they're known for, you know? And so it was a, it was exciting for him to be in it. So what's, what is what are your memories of uh, The Wicker Man? Can you remember the first time you saw it? I can. I think I would have been about 12 or 13 when I watched it for the first time. And it must have been on BBC yeah. 1 or 2. Channel or 4 or something. Or something. And I, yeah. I'd recorded it late at night. And I, I remember watching it. And at that time i was a big fan of kind of horror would have been around about that time that i'd watched psycho for the first time and to this day that is still probably my favorite film of all time yeah and at that time i was kind of into as you uh mentioned before kind of the uh, amicus film so like asylum mm. as you mentioned and i think we've mentioned it a few times yeah. in this podcast asylum had a big impact on me that's a, a, a amazing film yeah, it is a brilliant film and Things like The Vault of Horror or From Beyond the Grave. Yep. So obviously I was like, oh, okay, The Wicker Man, this is going to be good. I don't know. I, th- I think I watched it a couple of times, but I think being 12, 13, I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't watched it since. Did you have a... Until last week when you for wa- the podcast. When you watched it when you were 12 or 13, did you have a 40 minute wank over naked Brett Eklund? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe if I'd watched it, maybe yeah, a year later, I might have have done. But it just kind of didn't. I didn't get it mm. at the time, and then I never watched it again right. until last week. Really? And it was always one of those films that I've been like, yeah, I've seen The Wicker Man. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it was all right. And watching it this week, I'm so disappointed that I haven't watched it since then because now I get it. And probably 10, 15 years ago, I would have got it. And I'm kind of upset that this movie hasn't been in my life since then because oh my god this movie is so fucking messed up and crazy and it's incredible so yeah i'm disappointed that 12 13 year old nikki didn't quite understand what was going on here i think i thought it was maybe a bit boring right and i can I can see why you would think that, but yeah. now this is my type of horror. As I've said, it's kind of a, it's more disturbing yeah. than horror. And yeah. there are a couple of jump scares uh, in the film, one or two, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's just disturbing, which is kind of, it. so that's my, uh, yeah, kind of history of The Wicker Man. For me, I sort of came to it, I remember going to the, being taken to the video shop when I was a little boy and my mum and dad would sort of rent like a couple of movies for themselves I would get to rent one for me and there was, there's, a, there's a few films that whenever I see the poster or the cover of it always takes me right back to go into the video shop mm. one of them is The Elephant Man um, with John Hurt uh, David Lynch's Elephant mm. Man because uh, uh, the, the, 
like for a kid, the imagery in the box was quite scary because it's like a close up of the elephant man, but with the bag over his head and the eyes cut in the bag. Um, the other one is. It's one of the Friday the 13th, you'll definitely know which one. It's the one where it's Jason's mask lying down and there's a knife through one of the eyes of the mask. It might be part three, maybe, I'm not sure. The third one is the Wicker Man. And the, the, the video cover is the sort of famous, like the now famous shot of the burning Wicker Man from a distance. And the, the sort of the heads of the villagers watching it burn and singing their song and stuff. I mean, for me as a kid, I had no idea what any of those films were about. You know what I mean? I had no idea. The covers alone were enough to, you know, give me a bit of a fright. You know, for The Wicker Man, it looked like this giant guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it was, you know, I remember we had done The Iron Giant at school and it sort of reminded me of that a little bit. I thought it was going to be like a sort of scary take on The Iron Giant, maybe. So, like, wait, I didn't actually come to see it until I was about maybe 18 or 19. Because when when I worked in... I used to work in a hotel in Mintlow and one of the chefs it's an English guy called Daryl and he had like he had like fucking hundreds and hundreds of movies um, like I think I the first time I saw Scarface was watching it in his room after work one night with a few beers and he lent me The Wicker Man um, but I, I'm a bit like you I was kind of you know I'm a big fan of scary films I was sort of dug in for a big sort of scary unsettling film and it's <laughs> you know what I mean? Then there's like a musical number in the pub. So I, you know, I I still came back to The Wicker Man. I bought that uh, special edition DVD. But um, it's, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever really been sort of mature enough until now, I guess, uh, to, to really appreciate all the complexities of the film, you know? Yeah, I would agree. I think watching it now, I was very much aware of, of everything that's going on so mm. at the beginning and I, I can't remember which cut I would have watched in the early days yeah what was on BBC or Channel 4 um, but you know to see Howie at the start uh, singing Christian hymns and mm-hmm. eating the the body of Christ and that hammers home his religion yeah and that he is a very devout christian and then he's off on his seaplane yeah and he's coming at the island it's very funny in terms of you almost get the initially we don't like outsiders of the people aggressively you can't park there it's private space yeah, yeah. and and you initially get how he's kind of authority i am a police officer and i am and that's the story straight away it's kind of all laid out that he is searching for ryan morrison mm-hmm. and it's hilarious the the reaction of kind of the the town folk of no nah, nah, never seen her doesn't exist no nope, never seen her no idea who she is <laughs> and then they do say that you know oh yeah 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 sure she's dead <laughs> yeah. oh yeah oh her oh yeah 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 she died yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of kind of I think almost uh, American Werewolf in London which I know is one of your favourite films yeah, yeah. as well vibes when he walks into the pub yeah. and the music stops and everyone's kind of just staring looking at him and you are thinking thinking oh fuck he's gonna get get it here and no he gets basically a lap dance from Brett Eklund <laughs> yeah. all the punters singing about how much they get a boner when even the landlord mentions her name <laughs> yeah. of course the landlord played by Lindsay Kemp my namesake yeah <laughs> 
was a very famous kind of dancer and choreographer back in the 60s, 70s. Well, I was going to say, he is, the, the character of McGregor, the landlord, is incre- he's incredibly camp. You know what I mean? He's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, I know that Lindsay Kemp is not Scottish, and there's, you know, there's, there's actually, I don't think, like, none of the principals in the film are Scottish. Although yeah. Woodward does a good Scottish accent, I got to give it to oh, him. It's a very good yeah, Scottish. Woodward accent. does a great Scottish accent. Yeah. Hey, Britt Eklund does an amazing Scottish accent as well. But she's, she don't think it's her talking, is it? I think they. Not no, of course not. <laughs> she's completely dubbed, yeah, <laughs> which she was very angry about. But yeah, we'll come on to that. But yeah, I, and that takes me out of the film. Her dubbing but yeah. yeah sorry continue about Lindsay Kemp no I'm just saying like he's super camp like his scenes with Willow and all that and he's when he's talking to Edward Woodward Edward was complaining about his um about his shite dinner and all that sort of stuff um so yeah it's I guess it doesn't come as a surprise to learn that the actor it was a gay fella you know I think he's passed away now Lindsay it's little things like you mentioned about shite dinner and he's <laughs> talking about the the beans being turquoise yeah and then when you get to later on when he goes to the the records office and the the woman's eating a tin of peaches yeah and you're kind of it's foreshadowing like okay they're all eating tinned vegetables and fruit so their harvest is shite like they're not growing any vegetables and fruit here so which obviously leads to the end Mm -hmm. very good foreshadowing in that and it's kind of little subtle breadcrumbs that they leave throughout the film well, I, th- I think that's why the film is like bears repeated watching. It is for all those little subtle points that like, mm. the, f- the, f- the first time you see it, you know, it's because there's so much going on. To your point, you've got the, the missing girl, which is the reason that Howie's on the island. You've got all these unusual pagan rituals going on um, as they as they as they're building up to their kind of spring fe- harvest festival. You've got all this like erotic stuff going on and erotic imagery and stuff like that. And so you know, like there's. It, it's such a clever, clever film. And Robin Hardy, not a particularly prolific director. I think when I looked at his IMDb, he's only got like a hand, like less than a handful of movies under his belt. But it's really quite skilled, sort of. It's, it's like when like our mutual friend is, uh, I think, is perhaps the world's biggest fan of Inception. You know, I think when we're talking about movies that we'd seen a lot, a lot of times in our life uh, last week, he reckons he's watched Inception maybe 50 times. And I can believe it because. So, because like, every Friday night or Saturday night he's got to himself he seems to stick it on but I'm sure the first few times he will I think in that movie there are some little hints and you know things that you know that kind of foreshadow things that are going to happen later on in the film or whatever but yeah I mean there's loads of that loads of that in the in the in the Wicker Man I mean what we should mention is are the locations used so the, the movie is at the end of the film in the credits it proclaims less proudly entirely shot on location in Scotland almost a dozen in different places, a uh, Gatehouse of Fleet, uh, Kirkcudbury, which is probably where most of the movies filmed, Newton Stewart, uh, the Green Man Pub is. Uh is actually in Cree Town, which is where my dad was born, funnily enough. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Cozane Castle in Ayrshire is uh, Lord Summer, is doubles for Lord Summer Isle's uh, home. Um, they use the Eye of the Sky for the opening shot when Howie's flying across the islands. And then, of course, the uh, the famous finale filmed on the cliffs at Borough Heads. But apparently, like, it's supposed to be the springtime, but the movie was actually shot in October, which, as we know, uh, coming from Scotland, uh, October, especially in the countryside, can be a bit 
bit fresh. <laughs> right? Apparently they had, they, had, they had to paint leaves and all that kind of thing and stick leaves and trees and stuff to make it look like it was a spring. Yeah, apparently the studio asked Robin Hardy to put a scene in at the end where the rain, it starts raining and it puts, mm. out, the, it puts out the Wicker Man and Edward Woodward is, or Sergeant Howie is saved. That would have just spoiled the whole film. Yeah. Like, I, I can understand the way they're going with that, but no, come on, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the way it ends is perfect. I mean, it's horrific, but it's perfect. Apparently, the, the, the writer, uh, Anthony Schaffer, who wrote the movie, um, he wanted to write something that had a shock ending, like the, the movie Sleuth with Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. Uh, that's, I would say what the ending of Sleuth is because it is because I don't want to ruin it for anybody but it's basically a two-hander um, it's very good but uh, yeah apparently the, the other thing putting Christopher Lee and Ingrid Pitt in the movie was kind of by design because of, they were both actors famous for being in the Hammer movies so mm. you know having having their name on the on the banner or the poster obviously created a certain expectation of the movie so if you know you, I guess in those days you might have seen oh a new Christopher Lee movie out and you you might go to see something expecting something like the brides of dracula or taste the blood of dracula or the curse of frankenstein or something like that and, and that's what that's what's so weird about this movie because i mean i suppose the villagers are supposed to be and, and christopher lee uh, lord summer isle are supposed to be the kind of villains and how he's supposed to be the hero but apart from like the very very i mean even at the end actually when when Howie's being put into the Wicker Man they're all quite nice you know what I mean they're all like they're all re- they're not like they're not like standard movie villains they're all nice people friendly you know they are quite friendly towards Howie Howie's sort of belligerent and condescending and you know bloody heathens and like when you, this this scene in the in the classroom with Diane Salentro who, who plays the teacher and he like he just like bollocks her in front of all the kids like you're lying to me you're the biggest liar in this in this the biggest liar here and all that kind of thing you're liars you are despicable little liars rowan morrison is a schoolmate of yours isn't she and that is her desk isn't it well isn't it i think you ought to know and you are the biggest liar of all i warn you one more lie out of you and I will charge you with obstruction. And believe me, Miss Rose, that is a promise. Now, for the last time, where is Rowan Morrison? It's a it's a really morally complex movie because it's essentially Christianity versus paganism, and you know. To go back to that scene with Diane Cilantro when he's given her a hard time in the school. Um, do you know who Diane Cilantro was married to at the time of the filming? No. Big Tam. Big Tam. Oh, yeah, really? Big Tam. They divorced in 1973, so it must right. have been just after this film came out. But yeah, she was Sean Connery's wife. Do you think he coached her in her Scottish accent? <laughs> Possibly. Maybe. It, it's a beautiful scene in terms of when Howie opens the desk and you see the beetle yeah. and it's just going round and round and that's a beautiful metaphor for what Howie's doing. He's just going round in circles yeah. and he's never going to get to a finish and it's yeah, just yeah. wonderful. And he's so upset 
with the beetle being there, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't free it. He just slams the desk shut. No, no. Yeah. It's, I mean, and the thing is, it is scenes like that, like with the beetle going round and mm. round, the wee girl getting the frog put in her mouth because she's got a sore throat. I mean, those are the scenes that are kind of disturbing. You know what I mean? I mean, like the beetle in particular is unsettling. And you, you, you're not really... It's hard to put your finger on why it's unsettling. Maybe someone's gone to the trouble of catching a beetle, tying a wee string to its leg and tying it to a nail. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. It is the odd scenes like that. Like the the woman breastfeeding her baby whilst holding an egg, which is a fertility ritual. Yeah. Um, do you know who the woman is? Yeah, that's the that's the woman who is uh, Brett Eklund's arse double, <laughs> isn't it? No, it's not. Oh, no. Oh, isn't it? No, the woman clutching the grave... Oh, yes, yeah, that's you're right. That's Brett Eklund's arse double. But the woman that's holding the egg uh, whilst breastfeeding is none other than Barbara Rafferty. Barbara Rafferty. Ella from oh, Rapsi Nesbitt. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, she's been on the Swally and the Young Person's Guide Company Awards. Yeah, she has, of course. Oh. Yeah, Barbara Rafferty. Wow. So that's one of her oh. first roles. And what a role. <laughs> Good for her. So I'll have to go back and look at that again. I didn't I'd click at all. So I was also reading that apparently the original sketch of the Wicker Man when they were designing the figure had daisies in the eyes or flowers in the eyes, but they decided to leave it out because they thought it looked more sinister without. I don't know, You, I think it might have been looked more sinister with flowers in the eyes and stuff. Because yeah, flowers are sort of friendly, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, you're right. So I think it's time to talk about uh, Brett Eklund. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. Yes. Do you want to uh, You want to give us your, your take on Brett Eklund? I've met Brett Eklund. Have you really? Yeah, I have, yeah. Wow. I was working at Hazelhead Golf Club. And I think this must have been about 1995. And at the time, she was doing a theatre stage tour in the UK. And it was a play called Run For Your Wife, which was made into a film later on with Danny Dyer. But she was in the stage production. And I can't remember who she was with, but there was two gentlemen with her. And I looked up the cast list of who was in this production. And I think one of them might have been Robin Asquith from Confessions of a Window Cleaner fame. And I'm quite annoyed that I didn't realise that it was him. And Ian Lavender was in the cast as well. And it it might have been him, but I I don't know. I couldn't say for certain. So yeah, for some reason, they came up to Hazelhead Golf Club whilst they were in Aberdeen. I've no idea why. But yeah, I served them tea and rowies, I think, or whatever. (laughs) Butteries. (laughs) Yeah, butteries. Uh, So yeah, met Brett Eklund. she nice? Yeah, she was very nice. I seemed to remember. I don't think she said much, but I remember (laughs) saying, you know, thinking to myself, hmm, she's quite attractive, but she must have been well in her 40s by then. But yeah, that's my story of meeting Brett Anyway, to speak about her, I know that she was very annoyed that her accent was dubbed. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine the frustration of an actor giving a performance and uh, going to see it and it, you know, her accent being dubbed over. And it's a shame because she does give a good performance, but it does take you out of the film, the accent. And is it because we know that it's not her talking mm. or is it because it's it's badly dubbed? It is pretty badly dubbed. I almost wanted to watch this with my wife to ask her, would you have noticed that this was dubbed? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there's some of the old Bond films, like the Bond girls are dubbed. I think sort of famously Ursula Andress in the, in the first Bond film, Doctor No, is dubbed. And when you find that out, it's difficult to get away from it that you said that you mentioned. I mean, the thing is as well, like whoever is doing her accent or doing or doing the doing her voice, if you like, it's not a very good Scottish accent either. I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble of dubbing like your top build actress, 
actress. He's got like a he's got like a Scottish person to do it. You know what I mean? Instead of somebody trying to do a Scottish accent. I thought you were going to come and see me last night. I invited you. I'm engaged to be married. <laughs> Does that stop you? Aye, aye. I must say, you are a gallant fellow, Sergeant. It's nothing personal. Just that I don't believe in it. Before marriage. Suit yourself. I expect you'll be going back today. It does sound very much like, oh, hello, I've just come off the boat. Oh, yes. Like, like Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah, very much <laughs> like Mrs. Doubtfire. That's exactly yeah. what you sounded like there. <laughs> Obviously, she was very upset in terms of the, let's call it arsegate, <laughs> because she came in and it depends what story you read and what you believe. I've heard some stories that she was pregnant during filming. Yeah, I read that. And then I've also read stories from Britt Eklund saying, no, I wasn't pregnant, but I demanded that I'd be shot from kind of the the chest up. And then obviously the scenes where she's doing Willow's song and she's banging on the door with Howie with, mm-hmm. you know, with her arse was filmed by her arse double yeah and Brett Eklund was very unhappy about that and still to this day is really unhappy if anyone offers her a photograph of that scene to sign she won't sign it because she'll say that's not my bottom (laughs) and she's really annoyed by it and very uncomplimentary because she said that they replaced me with the biggest fattest bottom and i'm sorry Britt, but it's quite a nice bottom yeah. there you know it's maybe not as nice as yours but it's very nice but yeah she was very upset by it and very upset that it wasn't her bottom so, on screen yeah i heard the date yeah that she was supposed to be pregnant i also heard two different sort of versions of the same story one was that she was going out with rod stewart at the time and he didn't want her he was okay with her getting her breasts mm. out but he didn't want her being naked in the film i also heard that it was her husband at the time not rod stewart that was wasn't comfortable with uh, her being totally naked in the film. Oh yeah, I did read an article again. I don't know how true it is, but it said that Rod Stewart apparently tried to buy the film. Yeah, because he didn't want to see his girlfriend naked on the screen. Yeah, so he tried to buy the film to kind of bury it. Mm. But I haven't seen that in any of the documentaries or anything. No. So I don't know how true that actually is, or if it's just kind of an urban myth. I can't imagine. I can't imagine Rod's. I mean, you know, he's. He, I think Brett Eklund is just one in a very long line of sort of blonde, Scandinavian-looking girls that uh, Rod Stewart's been with. <laughs> Hopefully here's he's definitely got a type, you know? But uh, yeah, I, I, I suspect, like, if, if there's any truth to either tale, it's uh, they, they didn't want everybody else looking at Brett Eklund's arse <laughs> on film. Quite, quite happy to look at it himself. So obviously everyone in the village is in love with Willow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course... Oak, the big bearded guy who I have dubbed Earthquake because he looks exactly like Earthquake from WWF <laughs> back in the 80s, 90s. Uh, you know, but the whole village is kind of in love with Willow. Yeah. And the version that we watched, there is a scene where you have Lord Summerisle delivering uh, a young virgin boy to Willow. Mm. And so do we think that he was delivering the young boys to Willow so that she could take their virginity so that they're not virgins anymore and therefore they're not eligible for sacrifice? But yet, because Mm -hmm. Howie is a virgin and they say that at the end, that's why he's being sacrificed. So, Howie, 
why didn't he just rattle Willow? You know, any sane man would do it. <laughs> yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I'm sure as he's as he was sitting in the wicker man with the flames around him, he thought for a minute, I should have just let her in. <laughs> Could have avoided all this. <laughs> to talk about Willow's song while she's banging on his wall, do you know that's been covered by quite a few times by Yeah some quite famous artists yeah I was reading that it has been covered quite a few times I'm surprised that more they, I'm surprised that the other well the other catchy song that the guy's singing while the boys are running around the maple I'm oh yeah that's not been yeah. covered that's a earworm it's been stuck in my head for the last few days and it's a very catchy song but a very odd song as well a very phallic song but yeah it, it does get stuck in your head and on that tree there was a limb, and on that limb there was a branch, and on that branch there was a nest, and in that nest there was an egg, and in that egg there was a bird, and from that bird a feather came, and of that feather was a bear. Oh yeah, Willow's song's been covered by uh, Sneaker Pimps and Doves, um, Isabel Campbell. It's, yeah, quite a few artists. Um, but there are a lot of songs in this film that are very catchy and they're such a nice, floaty, folky music. And you think, oh, where have I got that song from? Ah, yeah, it's The Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the whole delivering the virgins thing is, uh, it feels like it, that little scene just serves to uh, sort of build up the how horrified by what these people are doing, how he is. He's already pretty annoyed. I mean, I think, because I think that all happens before he goes to the cemetery and finds the desecrated churchyard and that scene you mentioned earlier with uh, Barbara Rafferty. He's already, you can see that these people are, are not his type of people. You know, they're, they're not, they're the aggressively non-Christian. He's been out for a walk and seen all the people having sex on the green opposite the pub. You know what I mean? And, but his reaction to that's kind of weird. It's sort of like he's, um, he's just come across some kids like rapping the swings in a park. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's sort of, uh, he's just, you know, he's kind of almost dismissive of it. And then, you know, he obviously goes back to his room and then, you know, we see Christopher Lee bringing the boy to Willow's window and sending him upstairs. Yeah, it's kind of strange. But I, I feel like it's more just to sort of show how it odds with the way of life on the island, how his character is, you know? I've heard that the town, the, the, the town it was filmed in, in Dumfries and Galloway, yeah. Kakubri. They get a lot of pagan visitors. Yeah, that's that. Mostly Americans, which I can understand mm-hmm. because you do yeah. kind of associate America with paganism. Apparently, the scene at the end, the finale, when uh, how he's in the Wicker Man. So they got into a bit of trouble with animal rights groups because along with Howie, there are supposed to be chickens and goats and stuff being sacrificed as well. Now, no animals were harmed making the film, but when they were making the film, there was a lot, they got a lot of grief from the animal rights people in the UK who seemed to think that they planned to burn these poor goats and chickens and all that. Um, and apparently, Edward Woodward, such a trooper, while he was in, they'd insulated the bit that he was in. So the, the Wicker Man is on fire when Edward Woodward's inside it, but he's protected by this insulated thing, uh, as were the animals. But apparently there was a goat in the compartment above him that kept pissing all over him because obviously the Wicker Man's on fire. Apparently goats, when they're frightened, they take a piss. So yeah, Edward Woodward there in his little, his little shift, <laughs> praying to God and all that, and covered in goat piss. Well, what a way to go. What a trooper. You know, I can only imagine... Pretty 
shit yeah. getting pissed on. So kind of further to the saga of uh, the movie's kind of life after it was um, it was released. So the, apparently all the negatives and the outtakes of the movie when they when Shepherdson Studios vaults were cleared out sometime in the late seventies they were lost and they're suspected to be buried in landfill under the M3 motorway. Christopher Lee believed that's where they were. Christopher Lee also believes or believed because he is obviously the late Christopher Lee believed that uh, somebody somewhere has got an original negative of the Wicker Man so someone's got like an original uncut version somewhere in the world it's a conspiracy yeah I know that because EMI cut out 15 minutes of it I think they cut out the scenes that that we were talking about because that you can tell when you watch that version that we watched you can tell the scenes because the film quality doesn't look as sharp as the rest of the film so the scene right at the beginning when you that you mentioned when you see how he in church the scene when they're the sort of orgy in the green and i mean i guess i guess they maybe cut that out because it's a bit gratuitous right i suppose for the time early 70s bit gratuitous i think it was cut out because they needed to trim the film down so that they could put it out as a b-movie with dolder right, now right. as we said previously uh-huh. um and basically i think that they just had to cut it down to the 84 minutes and the studio head decided this was the case and they literally got an editor in over a weekend and said, you have to cut 15 minutes out of this film and you have to do it now. So mm-hmm. I think it was up to him to basically go through and see which bits they could chop out. So it was probably parts that didn't have right. a, a massive impact on the storyline, which is a shame because the longer version does make it so much better. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, even the longer version by sort of modern standards, it's not that long. I mean, we were talking about Nobody before we started recording. I think Nobody must be one of the shortest movies that I've seen recently because movies now are generally around the two hour mark, right? There's not many movies that come around the 90 minute mark in 2021. So even watching like, I mean, I, I downloaded this off iTunes and it's supposed to be the final cut of the Wicker Man but like I say on that DVD I had there are scenes which aren't in the final cut like him receiving the letter about the wee girl being missing and all that but then how did how did Lord Summerisle know that there was a virgin policeman on the mainland because he says at the end that it was all by design you know what I mean? They'd been playing him all a bit of a sort of training day I mean planning it all week you know how did oh yeah that's a very good point because they must have been planning it because my outtake of it is that Rowan Morrison, what a little bitch, you know, I, okay, she's been the whole <laughs> yeah. play and she's she's tricked poor Howie and led him to his death. But yeah, you're right, Lord Samurai must have known that there's a virgin copper on the mainland and he's going to be so interested in the disappearance of this child that he's going to come and visit. And yeah, I don't know how they would have done that yeah. kind of recon mission on him. Yeah, maybe they having some of these other scenes left in, maybe the original cut perhaps fleshed that out a bit more and made it a bit clearer I don't know I mean or they'd always been planning to they they've been planning to sacrifice Rowan until how he turned up and they're like oh actually instead of uh, instead of sacrificing one of our own people this guy will do instead I don't know so of course Edward Woodward says famously that he had never seen the Wicker Man until he comes over the hill yeah. And he sees it for the first time. And his reaction was absolutely genuine. And I can believe that because his reaction is incredible. And the way he delivers those immortal lines is just breathtaking. And if you think that's the first time we see the Wicker Man and you think, oh my God, that is incredible. Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! Oh my 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that whole scene, you know, we were talking earlier about um, the things that stay with you in movies like that bit in Texas Chainsaw that I mentioned and the guy's kind of convulsing. That's part of that movie that sort of lives with you after you've seen it. But with this one, the sort of, you really feel just like his realisation and then sort of, you know, he realises what's going to happen to him when he sees this big effigy on the on the top of the cliff. And you really, that sort of sense of fear, like there's literally, there's no, there's no escape for him. He's on an island. Somebody's fucked his plane, so he can't fly away. Not literally, I don't think. I mean, they are quite quite a horny community. Maybe somebody literally did fuck his plane. But um, but he, you know, he's, he's completely trapped. There's no way he can go. Even if he manages to get away from them, they're going to get him eventually. They're going to track him down on the island somewhere. He can't swim back. I think what they have Master says to him when um, when he is about to fly back and he discovers that his plane's been sabotaged that uh, the old the old fella could row him to the mainland. He might get there sometime next week. So you know that tells you how isolated Summer Rail is. It's not just a, a quick hop, skip, and a jump across the water. It's a journey. So just that feeling of just absolute hopelessness. That that's the thing that that stays with me in this film. You know what I mean? That's where the horror comes into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's he knows that he's with these people. Like, you know, really, really nice people. <laughs> really lovely people that are about to burn him to death mm. as a sacrifice to their uh, to their sun god. But then he's trying to convince Lord Summerisle and that what is it going to do burning me? You know, next year, if the crops fail, then they're probably yeah. going to burn you. And you can see the kind of glimmer on mm. Christopher Lee's face where he's thinking, nah, that won't happen. But I can see it's a, it's a last act of desperation yeah. from Howie. I know they did make a sequel, obviously, to this film, but I'd love to see uh, a sequel set the following year of what they're going to do with Lord Summerisle when the crops fail once again. I read the synopsis for the Wicker Tree, um, and it's um, you know it's all very much very similar to the Wicker Man, and so obviously sort of set in the same sort of uh, thing, same sort of universe, etc. But uh, it's didn't get very good rating. Apparently, Christopher Lee pops up in it as a, in a sort of cameo role. It'd be interesting to see it, and I probably if, if I get a chance to watch it, I'll watch it. Apparently, it's terrible. <laughs> Apparently, it's really bad. Apparently, it's so bad that Robin Hardy doesn't want anything to do with it because he was going to he did want to make a sequel Hardy couldn't sort of get it together to make it and then he kind of you know he they, this other sequel was made and I think he sort of um, endorsed it until he saw it and then he was like yeah no this is shite <laughs> I we should talk about Christopher Lee for a minute right because Christopher Lee to me is a fantastic actor like an absolutely brilliant iconic actor and a prolific actor I mean he's got hundreds of uh, there's hundreds of movies on his IMDB but it never seems to really happen for him the way that it would happen for guy, I guess his contemporaries would be guys like Sean Connery, I would imagine, um, and Mike and Michael Caine in terms of like successful British actors. You know, like he does. You know, up until The Wicker Man, he's got uh, Count Dracula, Taste of the Dracula, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, The House That Dripped Blood, I Monster, uh, Dracula AD 1972, Horror Express, The Creeping Flesh, Orson Welles' Great Mysteries, and the TV 
then this the the year that he makes the Wicker Man, he does the Satanic Rites of Dracula. He does the Three Musketeers, and then the year after he does the Four Musketeers, and then he gets to do Scaramanga in the Man with the Golden Gun. But then we don't really see him in like a big release until the Lord of the Rings films, when he was obviously an old man, and he's only really in the first Lord of the Rings. I think you know he's I think he had a bit of a fallout with uh, Peter Jackson, so you don't see much of him in the second movie he was kind of known as a B-movie horror actor, so I guess he was maybe just pigeonholed yeah. in that way, and that's maybe why his career suffered. Not suffered as such, yeah. but he was guess he was just known as a B-movie actor. It does pop up in Gremlins 2, the new batch. Quite a, oh yeah, of course. A, important role there. But then when you get into like the 90s, he's in Police Academy, Mission to Moscow. He's got some TV stuff. Yeah, TV, 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 Tale of the Mummy, 1998. Uh, the Rocky Interactive Horror Show. It's like a video game in the Rocky Horror Show, which sounds fucking dreadful. Um, he is, he's in Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. That's a good film. And he do, he plays Willy Wonka's dad in um, the t- Tim Burton's uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He plays, uh, and, he'll, and obviously he's got. Um, he gets he gets a Star Wars film, but yeah, it's right, really, right at the very kind of fag end of his career. He does like some big movies. You know, um, it's a bit of a shame for him because you kind of feel like. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think he was also not always that easy to work with. I think I've heard he could be a bit, a bit, a bit. He's, I think he was quite an intelligent guy, like quite intellectually intelligent, quite opinionated and stuff about what he was doing and who he was doing it with. I think that's why Peter Jackson fell out with him because apparently he he knew Tolkien, who who wrote Lord of the Rings, and he considered himself to be a bit an expert on Tolkien's work. And I think him and Peter Jackson uh, disagreed on some of the stuff that was happening that, the, that Peter Jackson was doing with the character Christopher Lee played, and that's why he got he got a lot of his scenes get cut out of the second Lord of the Rings movie. But you don't have to worry about that because you'll never watch them. You don't have to watch them now because I've just told you the the, the only interesting thing about them. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Is it time to put the Wicker Man through the awards? Yeah, I think it is. Come on, what's for first? Well, I guess we should probably get the Frankus Begbie Award for swearing out the way first because I don't think there's any real bad language in the film, is there? There's not a huge amount, no. Um, a couple of little instances. I'd give it to Bloody Heathens. And if anybody, including you, stands in my way, they'll be arrested as accomplices to murder. You simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. Heathens. Bloody heathens. Yeah, yeah, that's probably his. I mean, when and how he's shouting, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, when he sees Wickman, is he, is he blaspheming? blaspheming? Well, yeah, he or is. Or is he actually calling for Jesus to come and save him? I think he is probably calling for Jesus to save him rather than blaspheming. Doesn't strike me mm. as the type that would, but... Yeah, there's not a lot to go on in this film. Yeah, nobody getting the Franco Awards this week. Uh, I think the next one's quite an easy one. The Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Well, is it easy? What are you giving it to? I was going to share it between Brett Eklund and Brett Eklund's arse double. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I've got written down. Brett Eklund <laughs> and Lorraine Peters. That's what I've put, yeah. Right, okay. Brett Eklund and her arse double. It's, a, it's testament to your strength of character that you did the research to find out the name of Brett Eklund's arse double. Oh yeah, I have to look at the important facts there, of course. The Jake McQuillan, your tease award. So there's, again, there's not really an awful lot of violence in the film, apart from the burning at the end. Um, it's just pretty violent. But I gave it to Howie for when he whacks McGregor over the head and steals the punch costume. 
Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I did also have um, Earthquake <laughs> carrying Howie up to the Wicker Man, but I would agree with you, actually. Howie yeah. clattering Lindsay Kemp over the head with a candlestick and then stealing his punch costume is probably a better example of it. So I'll give you that. Yeah, maybe maybe we should change Oak's name to Mick Earthquake. <laughs> Mick Earthquake. Mick Earthquake. Yeah, I like that. Let's go with that. Uh, now, the next one is the James Cosmo Award, which again is a bit of a tricky one because most of the cast aren't Scottish. So I guess it, I guess it's kind of between Tony Roper, although he is actually cut from the film. So I think we maybe have to give it to Barbara Rafferty because she's the closest. Yeah, that's who I gave yeah. it to. I gave it to Barbara Rafferty. She's the closest thing we've got. She's the only person, really, that's in a lot of yeah. Scottish things that is in the film. So she's the only winner, really. And then Scottish moment. be interesting to hear what you have for this one. I struggle with this a little bit because it's such a Scottish film, but there's not a lot of Scottish moments in it, in a way. So I gave it to Christopher Lee in his kilt and his, kilt, his yeah. lovely big rough that's the only thing I could really think of. Uh, Christopher Lee and his Lucky White Heather Club tartan socks. Exactly. I had the most Scottish moment um, is the natural distrust of incomers in small communities. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'll go with that. It does pose an interesting question, really, because it feels like a Scottish film in so many ways. You know, obviously the the fact that it's shot in location and some of the some of the nicest parts of the country. You know, the storyline sets it in Scotland. You've got Christopher Lee and his um and his get up and everything. But I don't think paganism is a particularly Scottish thing. I think it's more sort of corn... The, the book uh, that the film's based on, The Ritual, was actually set in um, Cornwall. It's not set in Scotland. So, you know, I guess it's a bit of a kind of... Is it is it, is it, partic- is it like an, a, Scot- a Scottish movie in, 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 in that way? Or, you know, I don't know. If you are a Scottish pagan, please get in touch and let us know on cultureswally <laughs> at gmail.com. But yeah, you're right. Paganism isn't really a big Scottish trait. I mean, it maybe bears a bit more research, to be honest. What was your favourite scene in the film? Well, um, <laughs> the polite answer is the end with the wicker man. And yeah. it is such a dramatic scene. But the true answer probably is Willow's dance and Willow's song scene. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. It's, come on. Yeah, it's pretty excellent. She's an yeah. icon. It's every teenage boy's favourite scene, yeah. of course. <laughs> that, that reminded me of something, actually. You know when, when we see Howie in bed? I mean, that pillow, he's got like a fucking travel lodge pillow. It's got to be the thinnest pillow I've ever seen in a bed. It might as well be like a sheet folded in like four or something. He's it's, it's got the fucking, the locals down the stairs in the pub banging away in their fiddles and guitars singing. He's got a naked Dutch bird next door. Is she Dutch, Britt or Danish? Swedish. Swedish, okay. He's got a naked Swedish bird next door banging on the wall and just to fucking add insult to injury he's got a shitey pillow <laughs> poor poor Howie um, if Howie had just given in to Willow <laughs> it all could have been avoided yeah, yeah I think I think the, the best scene in the movie is is the, the last sort of five minutes or so when when it's just it's just really it's just a really really powerful scene and, and the thing is as well you've got, a, you've got a, a man and livestock burning to death and the locals are singing this jolly happy song and that just makes it like all the more unsettling you know it's just it's really really good and finally the Sean Connery award who won the film also known as who got to go home and fuck the prom queen Edward Woodward yeah. was fantastic in this film and his Scottish accent is incredible. 
Yeah. But it's Christopher Lee. You give it to Christopher yeah, Lee? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's really good in this film. He wins it. Who do you give it to? I give it to Woodward. I think he's brilliant. He's brilliant in it. Yeah, he is brilliant. Says, and he has got a great Scottish accent. Yeah. Uh, I'm swaying now, but no, I'm sticking with Christopher Lee. Yeah, it's a Lee. Did you like uh, uh, Christopher Lee's uh, his, uh, trainers that he's wearing in the procession at the end? Yeah, I did notice that. Quite out of touch, and it takes you out a little bit with his hair being all yeah. crazy, and then he's wearing these trainers. He's got that long, he's got that sort of lady's wig on, isn't he? In yes. the dress over his <laughs> over his trousers and his trainers. All right, well, yeah, well, I think we we can agree to disagree. They're both brilliant in it, but I I just don't know. I think just I think Woodward just plays the part of the sort of horrified Christian policeman trying to do his job and. Uh, everything so well you know what I mean and his reactions to all this stuff that's going on around him and um, and then at the, at the end at the very end when he's in the wicker man and he's saying his prayers and shouting out the gap in the in the rattan <laughs> oh it's horrifying yeah it genuinely has you on the edge of your seat so if you've got any thoughts on the wicker man then let us know if we think that it's interesting maybe we'll read them out in the next episode but the next episode is your turn to choose uh, Nikki, so what are we watching this week? I was struggling a little bit about what to do next time. Um, but then I saw a tweet from Irvin Welsh this week. And he said, I always feel that John Baird should have won a BAFTA as best director for this film. But apparently they found out he was an Aberdeen fan and were concerned that the animal rights lobby would kick up a fuss about potential livestock tampering. <laughs> this is the woke world we live in. So I don't necessarily agree with the last part of that, but I do agree with the first part. So I'd like to have a look at the film based on the Irvin Welsh book following Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson. And I'd like to look at the 2013 film starring James McAvoy, Filth, based on the 1998 book of the same name by Irvin Welsh. Brilliant. All right. Well, I look forward to having to watch that for a while. Look forward to watching that again. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you would like to get in touch with us, if there's anything you'd like us to review or anything that you have seen that you'd like us to cover in the news, then please feel free to drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at cultureswallypod or follow us on Twitter at swallypod. And please leave us a review, give us a rating, uh, subscribe on iTunes, tell your friends all about us, do whatever you would like to do. If you enjoy this pod, give us a hand and help let us grow. And Greg, we've got a website now, haven't we? We do. You can find us at cultureswallyblog.com. You can find links to all the episodes, including this one, uh, plus our Swally Tally and uh, our page uh, on English or American actors doing Scottish accents and some links to some of our favourite news stories over the last 26 episodes. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Until next time. Till next time. And on that tree there was a limb, and on that limb there was a branch, and on that branch there was a nest, and in that nest there was an egg, and in that egg there was a bird, and from that bird a feather came, and of that feather was a bear.